Welcome to the Story Paths podcast, where we explore links between story and culture. I'm Theodore Lowry, your host. I'm excited to announce that, as of March 2023, I've released my first on-demand creativity course. It's on Skillshare, nestled within a library of great creative courses, and if you're not already on there, I've got a link in the show notes where you can get a free month. My course is called Creative Writing, Brainstorming Story Ideas. In it, I guide you through finding ideas within your memories, working with them as symbols, and learning to deftly combine and recombine them into meaningful stories. There's a trailer for the course there in the show notes, along with the free link. Hope to see you in there. And so, we begin. So I want to tell you about a strange encounter that I had some time ago and a story I heard from a friend of mine who lives in another world and his story is about death and it's about fathers and it's about time and legacy. So I'll start. I was in a place called the Kettle Valley area, Kettle Valley Railway. It's in what's known as BC and Canada. It's the territory of the Okanagan First Nations people. And it's a place my father really loved when he was alive. And when he died, his family, including myself, we chose to sprinkle his ashes there. So a friend of mine, he was going on a cycling trip in this Kettle Valley area and it reminded me of that, so I went there myself. And of course I was thinking of my father and I was thinking of what he meant to me, what he means to me, and also what he tried to be in his life. What he lived and what he passed on after he passed away. So it's quite a wet area. There's a lot of ferns and old growth and hiking trails. I'd parked my car some distance away and left my phone and all that stuff behind. And I was thinking of my father when I sensed another person nearby and I turned and I saw it was my friend. I I think of him almost as my old friend, even though I'd only met him once before, but our encounter was a real sharing. So there he was, the runner, the messenger. I, I don't know his name, actually. 
younger than I am, probably 18, 19, bare-chested, body like a marathon runner, a little pack, and he was not running, but he was standing there, and he also looked like he was contemplating something. And he noticed me. We smiled at each other, and I saw behind him was also a forest, but not quite the same forest that I was in. The leaves, the shape of the leaves was a little bit different. The bark on the trees was a bit of a different color, a bit of a different texture. There in his world that overlaps ours. And I asked him, oh, what, what, if, what brought you here? And, of course, he doesn't speak English and I don't speak his language, but as before, we were able to communicate somehow without any obstacle. And he said, I've come here to thinking about my father. And, and I was surprised, it's of course, the same reason I'd come. And I asked him, oh, is, your, is your father buried here? And he said, yes, we, we did bury him. I'm sure he's gone into the trees now. His body's gone into the earth and his spirit's moved on, but I, I think I still sense him. And I said, oh, we, we burnt my father's body and sprinkled the ashes here, so I'm sure he's gone into the trees. And I also sometimes sensed him after he left, and I still think of him. And I asked him, among your people, what do you, of course, a classic question, what do you think happens after you die? And the runner, he thought about this for a while, and he said, you know, I don't know. But let me tell you something that just happened to me that's made me think more about this than I did before. So he went on to tell me about his second mission as a runner, as a messenger. And as he said the first time, there's no vehicles in his world. I mean, I explained what a vehicle was, and he, he said there's nothing like that in our world. And no animals like horses that it's possible to ride on for long distances. So in his world, someone who could run very long distances and deliver messages accurately was very prized. And his father had died, but his stepfather was a messenger and took, took this orphan under his wing and taught him also how to be a messenger. And as his stepfather grew too old for these long journeys, he became more adamant about making sure that the runner did everything right, that my friend did everything right. And he said, there's two main codes of a messenger, said the stepfather. Always deliver your message as it is, without any adulteration, and always deliver your message to the intended recipient. And so the runner, my friend, he was hearing this from his stepfather one day and feeling nervous because in his previous mission, 
He hadn't told his stepfather, but he hadn't quite delivered the message as he'd received it. He had delivered it as he felt it was intended. But he heard his stepfather very dutifully, and his stepfather says, There's another mission for you. There's a chief, a few villages from here, who's descended from chiefs from another land. And he wants you to give a message to his father. So go there and help him. Now, my friend the runner said, you should know that the village I live in is a very small village. And my stepfather, he used to, once he'd retired from running, he used to be in the gardens a lot, growing food. But now he's getting too old for that. And I'm not able to keep up on everything, so there's a lot to do in the gardens. And my stepfather, he said that this chief, there's many people in his village, and in return for this mission of sending a message to the chief's father, the chief would send people from his village to help with the gardens and move everything along very quickly, prepare the beds for planting and plant them and weeding and mulching and everything. So this would be in payment for delivering the message. And this was very much needed. And my stepfather, he didn't say that he couldn't help in the garden. He was a proud man. He didn't want to grow old. He wasn't ready to admit that he was growing old. But when he called, when he wanted this help, when he said he wanted this help from the other village, that we needed this help, not that he wanted the help, but that we needed this help from the other village, then I understood that this was very important to him. So I ran. I ran to the village a few a few villages over, and I, I came to the center of it, and the people there welcomed me and showed me a large council hall where the chief was present, made of big logs, stacked expertly, big archway, a long house, and without any nails, they'd built this house so every piece of wood fit perfectly together with spiraling patterns carved in the wall and faces and histories from this land that he was in and from the land that his people came from. And I met the chief, and he was a very, very stocky man, very well-built And he had his young son there, I'd say about seven years old, and he was also kind of stocky, even though he was a boy. And the chief said, yes, thank you for coming. I want you to send a message to my father. I said, what's the message? And the chief spoke the message to me, but it wasn't in a language that I know. But I memorized it, and I'm trained to memorize complex sounds, even hearing them once, even if I don't understand the language. So I memorized them, and to me, it sounded like a question, or perhaps two questions, but I didn't know the meaning. I said, where's your father? And he described to me a long journey going westward, toward the ocean, and then across the ocean to an island. And it was only when I'd left the village, and I was well underway, running, that I realized the directions were not so specific. 
and I wasn't so sure that I'd actually make it, but of course I had to keep going. And somehow I'd been reassured, because when I expressed doubts to him that, oh, how will I find it? I, I never lived near the ocean. I, I'm not familiar with how to navigate the sea, the ocean. The chief, he gave me a cloak. He said, don't worry, take this cloak. And when the time comes, you can use this cloak to cross the ocean and reach the island. And I saw there were three symbols on this cloak. One looked something like a slit, two lines parted in the middle and joining again at the top and the bottom. Another looked something like whiskers. And the third symbol sewn into the third patch on this cloak looked like a handful of pebbles. But somehow the chief's confidence and perhaps some aura about this cloak gave me confidence that, oh, I can run westward with this cloak and I'll be able to find this man's father. And like I say, it was only midway when I was miles, hours from the chief's village that I thought, oh, I... (laughs) I should have gotten clear instructions of how to reach his father. But I couldn't go back then. I thought, let me at least try. So I ran and ran, and gradually the plants changed, became more unfamiliar. I was less certain of being able to eat flowers and fruits, berries, leaves from beside the path unable to speak with people in the villages I passed, but people seemed to understand that I was a messenger, and they gave me some food along the way, and I drank from the rivers, and I I ran for days, days and days, carrying this cloak in my pack, and sometimes at nighttime wrapping it around myself for warmth. And after many days of running, finally, I started to smell something different in the air, something I'd hardly smelled in my whole life, a salty, salty flavor in the air. And I heard the waves before I saw them, this crashing, crashing on the beach, and long black cliffs and birds flying over the water, and such a large expanse I had never seen, never imagined. And there were islands throughout the ocean, but I couldn't imagine how I could reach them. I'm not a bad swimmer, but where I grew up, swimming means jumping in a pond and playing with your friends, maybe crossing a river. But this ocean, this ocean could swallow me. So I became despondent and I managed to find a way down the cliffs and I was walking along the edge of the ocean, I found a place that wasn't wasn't so tempestuous. The waves were not so large. But still, I couldn't imagine swimming out to one of those islands, and I didn't know which island I might go to. Then I thought of what the chief had said, and I, I took the cloak off, and I looked at the three symbols woven into it, three patches. And I saw the first one that looked something like a slit, And using a piece of wood that I found in a stone, I separated the threads and I pulled off this patch 
I said to the air or to the gods, to, I don't know who, to the ocean, I, I said, please let me cross. And I, I threw the patch into the water. And the patch disappeared. The waves took it. And I was left there just as I had been. No way to cross the ocean. So I walked along the shore a while longer, and after some time I saw something sitting next to a tree near the shore. And I went over and I found it was a wooden canoe. And it was old, had holes in it. But this actually reassured me because I thought, oh, if it's, it's old, it looks like somebody's left here, I won't be stealing it from somebody. So I found some sap on the trees and I mixed it with some sand and different things and I, I managed to plug the holes and there was a paddle in the canoe, so I pushed off into the ocean, feeling exhilarated until I realized I didn't know where the island was and that the ocean was just as huge as it was and looked even huger now that I was inside it. And I remember that there was two more patches. The second one looked like whiskers and some eyes in between, so I pulled this off and I put this in the water. And again, at first, nothing happened, but it wasn't long before a face appeared above the waves with whiskers. It was a seal. And the seal looked at me expectantly and then began to swim in a particular direction, not the direction I would have chosen. So I followed the seal and paddled for many hours, and my legs are very strong, practicing running, but I have to say, this paddling was very exhausting for my arms. But I traveled across the waters, and we navigated, the seal led me through different islands, this archipelago, and eventually stopped before a particularly imposing island with cliff faces that looked impossible to climb, and then the seal left. And I was there in the canoe, and I paddled up to the cliff faces, and I touched them, and they were slippery, slippery with slime from the ocean, kelp, and so on. And I'm not that good a climber also, I'm afraid to say. So I thought I'll just have to paddle back if I can even remember my way. When I remembered the third patch, the one that looked just like some pebbles, so I removed that from the cloak and I put that in the waters. Again, at first nothing happened, but it wasn't long before the waters started to recede and some shore appeared on this island. A sandy shore, pebbly, sandy shore. So I beached the boat, the canoe, tied it to a rock there so it wouldn't float away in case the waters came up again. And I walked ashore. It wasn't long before the air became totally filled with mist. I could hardly see in front of me, but I could see that I'd wandered into an abandoned village and some of the carvings reminded me of the carvings in the chief's council hall where I'd just come from some days before. The faces, 
the intricate style, the arcs, the types of eyes. There were poles, houses. There were what looked like council halls and gathering areas and homes. And I called out, but not even a bird answered. Just misty air and abandoned homes, halls, circles. So I kept wandering through, calling out, until I started to notice a pattern of the village and started to feel like I was coming towards some center. And sure enough, I stepped in to a large circle with a what looked like a fire pit in the middle and benches made from large logs surrounding it, maybe a place that people had gathered to discuss matters or a ceremonial area. And I didn't know what to do. I was looking for the man's father. I, I guess this was the right island that the seal had led me correctly. So I went to the pit, the ceremonial, the fire pit in the center of this circle, and I found some driftwood and different things laying there, and I took my little conch mushroom out of my pack, the one that always has an ember living inside of it, and I shared the ember with some scraps of wood and got a bit of a fire going, added some more wood until the fire was quite substantial. I was warming myself there and taking some comfort when I heard a voice. Sounded like an old man's voice. And I turned, and there's a sturdy old man coming into the circle, emerging from the misty, abandoned village. I couldn't understand what he was saying. But looking at him and looking at the build of him, looking at the earthy body that he had, I guessed this must be, this must be the father of that chief. And I remembered what my stepfather had told me, only deliver the message to the intended recipient. And I thought, I can't test it. We don't speak the same language. I tried speaking some things to him, but he didn't understand me. So I thought this this must be him. I have to take the risk. So I spoke the series of sounds, which was just to me a series of sounds, but some question or statement in the language that the chief and his father shared. I spoke this to the old man. And he paused for a second, looked at me. Then his eyes went wide. And he smiled, but it was a It was a smile full of regret, compassion. And he left, without another word, he left the circle off again into the mist. And I was left there in silence, just the crackling of the fire. After a few minutes, he returned. And when he returned, he was rolling a large wooden disc, almost as high as he was. And when he turned it, I saw the most amazing carving I've ever seen. It was a sun, a radial design, 
with a large sun in the center, with a beautiful stylized face and wide, kind eyes. And around the sun, in between the rays emanating from it, were other smaller suns with just the same design. And around each of them were smaller suns and smaller suns and smaller, until I couldn't see anymore, but I think whoever carved that must must have carved suns so small that even I couldn't see them, but they're there, I'm sure. And the old man, he presented this to me, and he pointed eastward the direction I'd come, as if to suggest, take this huge wooden disc, this beautiful carving, and bring it back. Bring it to my son. And I tried to explain to him that I was in a canoe that was an old canoe that might sink and that I had run for days before that, that I couldn't possibly carry such a huge such a huge item back. And he tried to convince me and without sharing language, I think that's the conversation we had. But eventually he, he seemed to understand and he looked disappointed. And he looked at me and he looked around and then he saw the cloak around my shoulders and seemed to get an idea. So I handed him the cloak and he again left into the mist and returned with a needle made of bone and fine, fine thread. And he sat next to the fire and he started sewing. And he sewed for what must have been hours. A circle, rays around the circle, circles around the whole circle, circles around each of those and rays around each of them. And then he drew the face inside the large circle and the faces inside each of the small ones, smaller, smaller, smaller. And he handed me back the cloak. And he patted me on the shoulders as if he was grateful for what I was going to do. And then he took that huge wooden disc and he rolled it along and he turned it and he put it in the fire. And I was shocked. I wanted to remove it. It's such a beautiful piece such a beautiful creation, such a beautiful carving. But he stopped me, held up his hand, and he patted me again on the shoulders, and then he left, going westward, into the mist, into a part of the village I hadn't seen, and have still not seen. And I watched that disc burn for some time, And then I took the cloak that he'd sewn the sun into, the many suns into, and I wrapped it around my shoulders, and I went back eastward, back toward the ocean. I found my boat, and at that time I thought of my stepfather, and I thought of his difficulty in facing becoming old. And he hadn't become as old as this man that I'd met, the chief's father. But the chief's father seemed 
very satisfied, unafraid of age or death. So thinking of both of them, I took some sand from the beach there and I put it in a little pouch in my backpack, which I knew I'd have to carry for many miles, but I thought, yes, I'll bring this from this island for my father, for my stepfather. And I went back in the canoe and I managed to find my way back to shore. I left the canoe there for whoever may travel next. And I ran for days and days with the cloak and the pouch of sand, and I came back into the lands where I recognized the leaves and the flowers and the berries. And I came at last to the chief's village, and people welcomed me there, and I came into the council hall and met with him, and he was there, and yes, he looked just as sturdy, just as earthy as his father and as his son, his seven-year-old son, who was also there. And I explained to him that I met his father, I'd met his father, and his father hadn't given me a reply to memorize. He hadn't given me a spoken reply. And he'd wanted to give me something, a carving, but instead had sewn the same pattern on this cloak, the same cloak the chief had given me. So I took that cloak from my shoulders and I showed it to the chief. And seeing it, this sturdy man, this leader of the village, he broke into tears. And he cried for some time and I I didn't know whether to console him or not. They didn't seem like tears of sadness. And I asked him after some time, I said, Would you tell me what what your message was? What did you ask your father? And the chief said, It's simple. I just asked him two questions. Are you still with us? And what's your legacy? And this gift, this embroidery that he's given me, tells me the answer to both. You see, it's for me, my father is this central son, and I am one of these ones coming out, and my son is one of those, and his son will continue. And his mother has also received an embroidery like this, but I have not seen it. So I left that place, said my friend, the runner. And I came back to my village and my stepfather. And in his gruff way, he was glad to see me. And I told him that everything had been successful. And the next day, in fact, the chief sent helpers for a garden. and They did more than we had expected. They helped in so many ways. They're planting trees, pruning trees, grafting trees, preparing gardens, bringing seeds that grew very well, it turns out, in that place.
And after a day of work, I came and spoke with my stepfather, and I realized there was quite a lot of fear in him. But I didn't speak of that to him directly. I said, I have something for you from this western island that I went to go see, this misty island. And I gave him some of this sand that I'd collected in a pouch. And he didn't say anything, but later in the day I saw it, I saw him holding it, his chest and then to his belly, and looking westward, maybe thinking of when he would make that journey himself. So the runner finished, and I thanked him, and he continued on his way back to his village, and I went back to my car and my phone and my crazy world that I live in. And all the while I was thinking about my own father and what he meant to me and what he tried to be. Smoky prayers But he did not see his father Broken village But he could not find his son A cloak of craft and creatures Help me cross the water All directions in my heart as one Hey now, hey, hey now Hey now, hey, hey now Thanks for listening to the Story Paths podcast. If you liked it, feel free to leave a review and share it with your friends. Thanks for listening to Story Paths, where we finger threads weaving story with culture. Before we go, I'd like to remind you of my new course, Creative Writing, Brainstorming Story Ideas, that is now available on Skillshare. If you're looking for a playful, creative space, this may just be for you. You can find the trailer and a link for a free month of Skillshare in the show notes. And as we part, I send my best wishes for you and yours. In the words of the Irish poet John O'Donoghue, may you realize that the shape of your soul is unique, that you have a special destiny here, and behind the facade of your life, there is something beautiful and eternal happening. And so we close.